going to work out of school or out of high school in this day and age is more exciting than anything I've ever seen. You could do anything you want. You could literally, I mean, I, I see people, well, look, you're doing a leadership podcast. You're 24 years old. Then. We really do live in a time period where you have so many options for what you can do with your life. Um, and Pete's going to talk about that today. Pete Durand is the CEO of Sabo Incorporated, where they have some therapy solutions for individuals suffering from impaired mobility. The work they're doing is incredible. Check them out. He's also the CEO of Crucible Partners, where they do executive level uh, recruiting. And he's the host of the Eating Crow podcast. And he's really become someone that I look up to a lot. I mean, he's in his 50s. He's super fit. He's got kids that are, you know, all college athletes. And uh, he's a fantastic leader. And has just been someone that's given me a lot of advice. And I can only imagine how much you're going to learn from him. So let's hop in. It's time for you and me to wake up and lead. So a couple of months ago, I was looking for a new podcast to listen to, and I came across one called Eating Crow. And I said, I don't even know what that is. And my guest today has then said, well, that's just because you're really young and it's a generational thing. Uh, but I started listening to his podcast and said, when I grow up, I want my voice to sound like his. It's really deep and 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 firm and strong. So I'm not, not, not going to put pressure on you to, for the first words that you say, but uh, host of the Eating Crow podcast, Pete Durand, welcome to the show. A voice for radio, as I've been told. <laughs> yes, th that's it. I mean, maybe one day when I fully, uh, when I fully grow up, maybe when I hit my thirties and can like really grow a beard, hopefully my voice will drop a little bit more like yours. I don't know though. I don't know when it happened. I actually hate the sound of my voice. Most people do, but it's it's uh, and my my wife and my kids. As soon as they hear it, they just turn it off. They're like, we hear enough of it live. We don't we don't need to follow your stuff. <laughs> My, <laughs> my kids are my, my greatest critics. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, you have your, your friends and some other family that, that may listen to some of your stuff and people on LinkedIn that encourage you. And then sometimes my wife, my wife's very encouraging, but sometimes she's like, stop editing that video. Like just hang out with me. I don't want to hear you talk anymore. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, so the funny thing is I, when I first started, I recorded a lot of ep episodes early so I would spend five, six hours on Sundays editing video. And I realized this is not sustainable. Yeah. So outsourcing the post-production was the best thing I ever did. So now I, think, I just now I just have really cool conversations with people like you. And then I upload it somewhere else and they take care of it. Oh, man. See, that's a good idea. I haven't quite done that yet. Although I have about 20 messages in my inbox on LinkedIn, starting with, hello, sir from someone that is uh reaching out to edit my podcast so i've got so. a guy I'll, I'll send you my guy okay you got a guy i feel like yeah. every message about like a podcast editor starts with hello sir i don't know yeah they do I, he this by the way this guy actually was my first mentor in the podcast world so he started okay. a company uh plugged for my buddy billy called potify okay and that's all they do and he's a pro okay potify got it yep. Mm -hmm. Um, this episode is now sponsored by Potify. It is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Intro, so, intro email coming. Pete is not going to tell you this, but the first probably 20 minutes of our conversations, we're talking about, um, not only his extreme athletic ability, but his children's as well. I, I just, I feel like my audience needs to hear like you are, were a triathlete, uh, your kids college sports. I mean, I mean, just tell us, tell us about 
all of that? Well, I'm, uh, I'm fortunate that my kids are all way cooler than me. So the proudest moments I've ever had in my life all revolve around something my kids did. So, uh, my daughter real quick was a really good athlete, soccer, basketball, volleyball, and she's six feet tall. So she's kind of, she's kind of a badass. Her husband, um, also was a division one soccer player, Duke and a mechanical engineer and really smart guy and really humble, quiet guy. So you'd never know it. So they're pretty cool. And they just had their first kid. So I think they're debating which sport to put him in first. That'll be fun to watch. What's your granddad name? You know what? We're, my wife and I stayed really simple. I'm just grandpa. Grandpa. I yeah. love it. She's grandma. That's it right now. That's that's what we're going for. We didn't, we couldn't think of anything more appropriate other than maybe I was going to have him call me the dude all the time. The just call me dude. the dude. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I, did, I don't see you as like the super cheesy, cheesy yeah. grandpa name. <laughs> Grandpa's fine. Uh, and my oldest son played soccer at NC state, had a great career, um, won a couple of awards there and it was fun to watch him. Probably one of my favorite moments he had, he'd been injured twice in college when he'd earned the starting job and then lost it. And then his senior year, sadly to an injury to one of his teammates who he loved, who came back from it, uh, Vinny got the chance and then started his whole senior year and had a great career and won a bunch of awards. And then my youngest son, Sammy, um, won the state high school championship, was MVP of the state championship games, scored two goals while playing on the NC State field, which was kind of cool. Wow. And now he plays soccer at Elon, has had a really good career there. So um, there, it's it is uh, it's our biggest pastime is watching soccer. Oh, my goodness. And they got all their athletic ability from your wife? 100% and their height. <laughs> my wife's family's tall. My family is not tall. So my boys are 6'4", 6'3", and uh, I am not. <laughs> you are not no, not at all i'm six wow. i'm barely I'm, I'm i claim i'm six one my wife and boys like to remind me that i was six one now i'm just bald and six feet tall and was and peaked in high school that's what my youngest tells me he always tells me i peaked in high school peaked in high school yeah. now, i think i think you peaked in your triathlon days you were super big into those weren't you I was for a while. Yep. Uh, won a few races and really loved it. It's, uh, it's, it's one of those few things you can do where it's just you against yourself all the time and how far can you push your body? So, uh, I have a, I like to work out by myself, um, to the point where I could make myself throw up and that's really weird. It drives my wife nuts because she likes to work out with a group and be motivated by each other and doesn't want to think she wants the instructor to go do this. Now I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I just want to kind of go do it. So, um, I work out of my garage by myself. It's really lonely. If I'm ever in Raleigh, would you let me work out in your garage? A hundred. Absolutely. Jared Greer, who's on LinkedIn has worked out of my garage with me. Okay. He's a, he's a freak athlete. He's a hundred mile guy though. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll give you a call. We can throw up together, I guess. <laughs> Let's do it. We're not, we're not running together that I can tell you. I can just look at you. You look like a runner. That is not happening. Uh, run, running was kind of my thing. I'm, I'm trying to get a little stronger though. Um, that's why I no noticed my mo recent LinkedIn post It was a picture of me squatting, but you couldn't see how much weight was on the outside. That's really strategic to make it look like it's like 600 pounds, but it's not. It's a good move. It's a really <laughs> good move. Smart editing. Oh man. Um, okay. So you posted something that just, I, I think I stood out of my chair when I read it. Cause I just <laughs> said, yes, Pete, that is it. Um, let's see if you remember it. It's, it's, it kind of started with like a this is not a 5 a.m. club post. Oh, yeah. like it, you you gotta you gotta talk to me about that. I just love the principles and I can help you. Yeah, remind me, remind was this the one um was this the one about habits? Yeah, and you kind of talked about how like some people say, Well, I'm not a morning person, and yep. then your response, okay, yeah. I want to yeah. hear about that. 
Uh, you know, I, when I was a trainer, so I ran a fitness company for 10 years and, uh, I was always the guy at work. People would say, it looks like you exercise. Could you help me do that? And I would take it like too seriously. I'd go home and try to custom design a plan. So I wrote a software package and built a SaaS model to help people get fit. And my favorite excuse is when I, when someone says, help me exercise and get fit and lose weight. And I'd say, well, we need to do these three things. And they say, well, I don't want to, <laughs> I love that response. It's like, okay, well, maybe you should probably go do what you want to do. And I, I, when people throw up the 5am club or show their watch or their clock at four o'clock in the morning, I think that's great. I understand it. I get it. Um, not everyone's wired that way. And I think for me, it's a different message. There are times of the day that you can utilize or waste. So for me at 5am, there's no meetings. No one can schedule something during that period of time. Early on, my kids and my wife were not up. So I had no obligations at that period of time. I was able to just kind of met it, like literally just, I did my workouts during that period of time. This is before COVID. I had to go to an office. So the only time I could work out was 5 a.m. And then I would do my meditation in the car on the way to work, which was good, but I probably not as rich as it should be. But I just love that time. It's the literally the only time of the day where I have 100% control of my output. And I also had, I, I felt like when I got to work, I was ahead of everyone else in the game. Competitors, co-workers, anyone. I just had an extra pep in my step. I ha- I could go deeper. I could go faster, longer, because I was already done. I didn't stress about, geez, I got to get home and work out. I haven't worked out yet today. It was out of the way. Now, my wife is not a morning person. So when I go to bed at 10, because nothing really good happens after 10 o'clock, you probably just veg on the couch, watch TV, which was part of that post. Like That's what people do. They don't ever want to admit it but that's what 99% of the population is doing at 10 o'clock. They're just watching TV and they fall asleep. They waste two hours. They go to bed. They're exhausted. They haven't turned screens off. My wife's battery kicks in at 10. So for her, it's communicating with her friends. It's planning uh, the team soccer event. It's, it's handling her mom's doctor's appointments the next day. So she's busy. She's not just lounging, but I don't have the, I'm, I'm done at 10. Like my brain just shuts down. So when I get, I can get up at five and then instead of wasting those two hours from 10 to 12, like most people do, I get up at five and use those two hours while they're still sleeping. So it's subtle. The 5am club really means pick a time, either work from 10 to 12 and get something done and get up at seven. You just have to think of it that way. And I had a couple of people come in the post, like, look, my best time is from 10 to one in midnight. You know, like, and I'm a creative person. That's when I do my perfect. If that's how your brain works and you've discovered that, that's really my point is find that time where you can get that extra productivity or boost or clear your head or get some, you just get some me time. I call it. That sounds strange, but for that's, that's what the Fabian club is to me. It's it's I've done it all my life. So mm. now I've pivoted a little bit. I work out at lunch because 5 a.m. to me is my product. That's when I do my LinkedIn posts, comments and engage in writing and big projects. So um, I enjoy that because that's, that's the best productive time for me. And then lunch is just a chance to get up and move after sitting on calls all day and just move your body around. Yeah, that's really good. And and it really just, it comes down to, do you, do you want to, do you want to put the work in? Do you want to do it? Because mm-hmm. a lot of times it is, well, well, I don't have time or I'm too tired. I'm not, not a morning person. And to your point, it's like, I'm not trying to be rude, but like, what are you doing from, from 10 to midnight? Um, I'll be around people and, everyone's talking about the latest Netflix series that they watch. And I, I love a good Netflix series, but it's just sure. like, you can't, sometimes you, you got, you got to pick what you really want to prioritize. It takes my wife and I like two months to binge watch a show. 
<laughs> because I, I, you know, literally I weekends and God bless her. She can't sit still, which is what I love about her. Like the concept of sitting on the couch on a Saturday for six hours to watch it, she could never do it. If it, maybe if it was snowing and, and the town was shut down and we couldn't go outside, she could still do it, but then she'd find something to do around the house. So we're both wired to kind of be up and moving. And, uh, and I think that's just something we enjoy now. Believe me, we like a good TV show. Trust me. But it's just harder because I last one episode. <laughs> like, I gotta go to bed. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm with you too. And but I, I want to be open about something that I struggle with too because I think a lot of times it's like, okay, great, we get it. You get up and you work out at five. Mm -hmm. Congrats. Like, yeah. and there's this level of people. Maybe it's the story they're telling them themselves their of I, I'm, I'm never gonna be able to get started. I can't do that. I'm not a morning person. Whatever it is. But even for me, it's like. That's a habit that I have built into my life, yep. but it wasn't easy when I started. That hardest part is getting started and now I'm there. But a question I'm asking myself is, it feels so good to be consistent, but what areas of my life am I not creating new habits? And like, like for example, right now, it's like, I need to get back into prospecting way better with sales. Mm -hmm. And I used to do that really, really, really well. And then when I became an accounting executive, I apparently got some sort of ego that I'm not supposed to do that anymore. And now it's hard to build that habit again. Sure. Are there things in your life that you're like, man, I just got to get into that routine like I have with fitness? So oddly enough, pro prospecting is always something that I think people struggle with. Um, unless you're an SDR and that is your gig, right? You get up, that's all you do all day long. But I run uh, you know, a consulting executive search firm, as well as another company. And then in that consulting executive search firm, we've been blessed. It's doing well, but I get, I get caught up in the doing and not into the networking and prospecting. So time blocking for me has to be more deliberate. Um, I've tried, I've tried different methods to help outsource that process skeptically with limited results and, and recognize it's, it's not who I am. It's not the brand I want to be, but it could scale. Well, it, it doesn't really work that way. So for me, I think, uh, I've, I've stopped trying to be good at the things that I know drain me. And I think the older I've got, that has been, um, like I said, editing my podcast. We talked about that before, you know, early in the show, I, uh, it was drain. It was killing me. I would dread Sunday mornings because that's normally we go to church and we went to church and I would come home and instead of hanging with my family, I'd go lock myself in my office and edit for six hours. That's no way to spend a Sunday. Now launching it, I didn't have income to flow with it. So I get it right. But it was not sustainable. As soon as I outsourced that, I made that decision January one, this year, I'm going to outsource that. And I'm going to put that money. I'm going to invest that in my time and grow the business. And it worked. And it changed the way I viewed the podcast. Cause now the podcast is a joyful thing for me. Whereas before it became a work, it was, it was a work thing for me. And now it's pure joy. Man, that's good. That's good. Yeah. That's our, um, our, our wild spark lesson from this month, the one that we did internally is just about self-awareness and knowing your strengths and, mm -hmm. and, a lot, and not everyone agrees with this, but in the lesson, there was a video of someone identifying a strength as something that gives you strength. It's not necessarily something that you're good at. Maybe, sure. Maybe you were good at editing the podcast, but it was draining you. Yeah. Um, I wasn't very proficient at it. We'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whether I was good at it or not, it was. I think it was a good product, but it was. This is not the value, and I think I over perfected it. Right? It's people don't care that they're that somebody said um here, and I, I had by the way I had people telling me 
how you're supposed to edit a podcast. And other people say, look, just put it out there, dude, just put it out there. And I lean more towards this product doesn't need to be perfect. That's not what they're here for. So my, my podcast, I'm sure because it's, it's outsourced is not perfectly edited. There's some things that could be better, but Hey, I mean, for me to get six hours back in my week, I'll sacrifice that 2% of quality, um, in an area that I think it's sacrificeable. Otherwise I'm not, I'm kind of a perfectionist. So there are things I just will not, will not, not do right. Mm -hmm. Um, it drives me crazy when I see someone not cross the finish line or complete a project or, you know, leave a dish in the sink. It's like that little thing, like, really? Cause guess what? Either I'm going to have to clean it up or somebody else is you could do that yourself. Who do you think you are? And it's so subtle, you know, it, it's just, it's yeah. Finishing something is uh, pretty important, but I also recognize there's some things I got to let go of. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm relating to this a lot. This is, this is good. Um, can you tell me about crucible partners? Sure. So about five years ago, I think it is uh, when I sold my fitness company and uh, we merged with another company out of Atlanta. So it wasn't an exit. My, my equity is still in there. Great team running it, but it changed a lot. It wasn't a fitness company. It's more of an incentive management platform and it's a really good one. It's a great company. Um, and I'm a big believer in the team, but I started to uh, have some requests to do some consulting with some different companies on um, you know, leadership or um, talent development. And then started doing search for, or they couldn't find talent. And for some reason, um, I, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't know that I would, but I enjoy solving puzzles and finding the right people for the right jobs. Cause if you do it right, both sides are happy. Like the company's happy and the employee's really happy if they've found a really good job opportunity. So for me, that's fascinating. And uh, the name crucible is just a blend between the word crux, which is kind of means the heart of the matter. It's the most important thing. And I view talent as the most important thing in a company. And then crucible is a kind of a journey of challenges, suffering, persecution where when you come through it, you're, you're kind of etched and burned as a better person, right? You've come out the side as just a, a little scarred, but a lot wiser, better, and then you use those experiences to, uh, to help others. So that's kind of how I blended the name. Wow. That's super yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I know talent, I completely agree. It is obviously extremely important. Um, so that mm -hmm. that's really cool. Uh, now on the flip side of that, I know while it's extremely important to find top talent, mm -hmm. um, I'm curious to hear what your perspective is because I know there's all ends of the the spectrum here. Some people say, yes, we want to find top talent, but it's also equally important to develop that yeah. talent as well. I mean, what what are some of your strategies around around like retaining and attracting and developing? Uh, you know, I, I think there are some things I've done well and some things I just missed in my career. And, and it's, it's probably due, it's not intentional, right? Um, because developing and retaining talent is so intentional, right? You have to, it's a motion that people just don't normally do. They don't think about it. Um, talent, a talent plan is usually reactionary. Oh my goodness. Hampton's decided to leave. What are we going to do? Mm -hmm. He's an A player. We just missed it. What do we miss? So, I think paying attention to the signs uh, of how your team is doing is really important. And you have to ask and you have to ask them how they're doing thoughtfully. You have to ask as a group, how are we doing as a company and make people comfortable to raise their hand in a group setting and challenge you as the leader. And then really important in one-on-ones to make sure that people don't feel like they're trite. I had a company that insisted we do weekly one-on-ones and I stopped it. I said, this is ridiculous. 
it feels rote. It feels like we're just checking a box. You'd come in, nothing, nothing's changed since last week. Right? I've got work to go do. It, I had 12 direct reports. I was doing 12 one-on-ones a week. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, what a complete waste of time for everybody. They don't want to be in it. I didn't want to be in the meeting. So finding the frequency of when you sit down with people, remote workforces, that's, you, you talk like this every day, but when you separate performance discussions from, Hey Hampton, how are you doing? You just bought a house. Congratulations. That's big news. Talk about that. What are you guys going to do? Um, anything that we can do to help you? What's stressing you out? You know, when you go home from work every day, how do you feel? Like, do you do you walk in the house going, oh, it was a great day. Or do you walk in the house frustrated? If you're frustrated, why is that? Let's talk about that. Those are the questions that I think you need to be thoughtful and ask. And then leadership teams need to be proactive. GE was, is you could love or hate GE, but boy, they were really good at this. They had a, a they had three planning sessions and they did them religiously. Session one, session two, and session C. Session one was a three year strategy for your division. It rolled up to another division all the way up to Jack, and Jack could see all of GE in a four blocker, like one slide. He could see the whole three year plan. Remarkable how disciplined it made you to be concise what you're trying to tell them what you do. Session two was next year's like budget, like it was the plan, the fiscal plan you commit to, profit, margin, growth, everything was in there, and you had to hit your number. And then session C once a year was about people. And it was a little cold hearted. So I don't necessarily buy into some of the aspects of it. What I buy into is the fact that they did it right. They used a bell curve to force rank all their employees and they would just push out the bottom 20%. Like they better be gone. Now, when you get to have a hundred thousand employees, that sounds cold, but if you have 20,000 employees that are underperforming, and you've actually tried to coach them and they don't respond, they've got to go. Yeah. That's it's terrible, but they've got to, if you've done everything you can to coach them up or help them and they decide, I don't want to be here, I don't care, then they've got to go and help them find a job. This may not be the right place for them, but it's sucking the life out of your company. Then you got the 60% in the middle who are B and C players and you love them. They do a good job. They keep the company afloat. You want to figure out how to retain them and attract them. But then you got the 20% on the right are they players, and they really, really loved on them. And it was a little cold, right? It was, it was, it was, it was hard. You have a team of five people, they would force rank you to you would have to force rank five people. So if I had five Hamptons, like five A players, I had to pick one and say, sorry, you got to go. That that's what turned me off. Yeah. All right. When it became a math problem, then I got a little disenchanted, but they would pick the B and A, A, B and A and B players and they would identify people they felt had a really strong upside potential. And then they would invest like crazy in those people, train them, give them opportunities to, to take on more responsibility, promote them. So they really were intentional about developing leadership, but uh, sometimes at the sacrifice of, you know, being human in other areas. Sure. But, but they were intentional. So I, I, yeah. I appreciate that. Maybe the methods were a little bit rough, but at least they were intentional. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot, a lot of that is great. A lot of that is, is, is maybe questionable, but I, I'm sure mm -hmm. you learned a lot from there. So, uh, but Hey, what, what, what if we invest so much in our people and then, and then they leave, isn't that a waste of time and money? So have you seen the phrase, but, and what if we don't and they stay? Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, that is, uh, I think that's very true that that presenteeism is what you're afraid of, right? I'm here, but I'm not really here. And I think that's where successful companies 
it's it, by the way, scales hard. The bigger you get, the harder it is to build this all the way through the organization. Again, it has to be intentional. Um, leadership training, helping people understand how to communicate with their team members and develop talent, handle conflict. It's an exhausting process and it takes time and it takes money. And the best companies that do it are they succeed where others don't, but you also can only do it in companies with low turnover, right? If you have a company with almost 80% turnover every year, it doesn't make sense, right? You're just trying to survive. So um, it, I guess it depends on the business, the market, a lot of retail companies aren't successful. A lot of fast food or consumer products don't don't find that because it you know attrition so high they just don't. A few people surface, but not many. Yeah, uh, you're right. I mean, a lot a lot of fast food places it doesn't work. I, I, I try not to bring up Chick Fil A too much because I talk about them a lot, but I mean yeah. they they crush this, and I mean so many so many of them are using Wild Spark, and of course they're going to have turnover. Yeah. But a lot of times that's just the college student that's home for the summer. I mean they. Yeah. There are people that have, um, I was at a, a, a the Houston Chick Fil A market conference about a month ago, and um, Andrew Cathy, the CEO, spoke and said, "Raise your hand if you've been at Chick Fil A for longer than five years." And like almost every hand in the room went up, and only ten percent of those like five hundred people were operators. So there's like a lot of Chick Fil A directors and shift leaders. I mean, they're staying there for five, ten. Oh, yeah. Even more than that, years, and I think it's no secret it's because they're they're doing something right when it comes to developing their people. Well, I think what they've discovered is people want to be challenged, right? So if you raise the bar for how you treat a customer, and then you raise a bar for how you treat each other, the right people respond really well to that, and you weed out the people who don't. It's very easy to it's it's what they do brilliantly is say, hey, here's here we're going to operate. If you choose to come to work here, here's what we expect from you. If you do not do these things, you will not stay. And my wife goes to the Chick-fil-A. By the way, we moved um, a little bit of ways away from this Chick-fil-A where we lived for almost 20 years. She will go back to that Chick-fil-A to get her one Diet Coke a day with exactly the right ratio of ice. They know her name. When she pulls up, she knows the staff. She knows the kids, they, everything. And it's, it's part of her thing. And when they say, my pleasure... She just beams because she just loves those kids. And they've created a culture that is very hard. No one's been able to duplicate it. No other chain has been able to duplicate what they've built. And they're not, they don't apologize for it. It's who they are. Uh, and I think it's, I don't, it's hard to find anything wrong with it. <laughs> Put it that way. I know it really is. And I think it's, it's, it's so foundational. Like when they started, it was, they said like, we're, we're in the business of people. And we'll do it through chicken sandwiches. Like what we do is invest in people. And I, I, I'd yeah. say this a lot, but it's people want to be, oh, well, we want to be the Chick-fil-A of uh, construction or banking or hospitals. Yeah. I think they want the the revenue and the growth. Uh, but really, it starts with like investing in your people. And they've done that time and time and time again. So think about think about the training that has to come from corporate into the franchise owner, into the leadership team inside the franchise, into the frontline team and the where they hold people accountable in every aspect of things they do. That is so hard to do. It is so difficult to do that. And they figured it out. Mm, that's good. So uh, I did a little studying on Pete before this podcast and just listened to him talk about a lot of different things. You, you, um, you seem pretty open about certain learning experiences and failures mm -hmm. throughout your past. Uh, so sure. 
you know, I'm sure you only have a couple of different failures to pick from, but I would just love to hear some of the learning experiences, whether it's been in starting businesses or in leadership roles or really anything. Oh, I, I've got many of them. Um, so the two, the two biggest mistakes I've made in my career, and, and unfortunately, these mistakes were expensive and cost investors and me time and money. Um, when I was running a startup in the public safety digital video space, we bought a company, a public company in Australia, and we did all the diligence that you would normally do. We didn't bring in a third party to assess their technology. And we should have, because we found out they were, they were faking their test documentation and a critical piece of equipment that we were going to install in some of our biggest clients. So summarize, long story short, we put the equipment in two weeks later, it started to fail and it cost us millions and millions of dollars to fix it. And it happened on my watch. I was the CEO. I did the deal. I should have, you know, I should have, I should have, I was trying to be objective and I should have brought the people that said we should go look. I should have said, yes, we need to go look at this deeper, but I'm a inherently trusting person to a fault. So, um, I got burned and it, and it cost a lot of people, a lot of money. And it cost me a company that I'd spent a lot of time building very successfully. Um, with some really great people. It was a great business. It was really tough. It was a tough pill to swallow. It took me a couple of years to bounce back from that one. Hmm. And, uh, and then when I started my fitness company, we, we, this is going to date me, but uh, when we first started streaming video, wasn't really mainstream yet. You couldn't stream an exercise video. You couldn't stream. Netflix wasn't streaming. It was, so DVDs were still a thing. So we. P90X. P90X. It was it was still in the P90X genre, right? I've done P90X, by the way. I did it on a dare. Um, I love it. I did every doggone day for 90 days. Every day. Didn't miss a day. Because I didn't want to say, like, I did P87X. I wanted to say I did P90X. Um, but that's, that's what inspired me to start my company, oddly enough, is I finished it and I thought, wow, um, that's one size fits all. Like, everybody is supposed to do the same thing. And even the meal plan, I'm like, it's ridiculous. Right? There are... So I wrote... A bunch of you know algorithms and software program that would customize your exercise video for the day and your meal plan for the day. Super cool platform, but we had to buy. We developed this really cool DVD pack. It's awesome actually, and we had to buy in bulk. And we were working with a major partner who gave us a verbal to ship thousands of them, and we we bought a bunch overseas, had them built. And literally they arrived and three days later, the company canceled the contract. Oh, wow. So I spent a considerable amount of our very young company fortune on that initiative. And um, we ended up selling a bunch of them, but we ended up just tossing a lot of them at some point. Cause then we started to move on everything online and into our app. And it was an expensive mistake. And uh, that one I owned hundred percent. That was all on me. So we, you know, you know, as a young CEO in a very small growing company, you don't give out capital the way I did in that situation. So, yeah. um, you know, and, and I had, I had people saying, is this the right move? Is it the right move? And I said, I, I, I believe it is. I believe it is. And I was just freaking wrong. So I uh, ended up paying for that with equity further down the road. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you learned a lot from, from those scenarios, but, uh, well, if we wanted to talk about all of them, Hampton, this would be a six-hour podcast. 
Okay. Well, folders and folders of the things I've done wrong. And that's what inspires a lot of my posts. Cause I don't think people share a lot of that. They share kind of the fluffy stuff, but I'm pretty raw about talking about the things that I've learned and, um, and have been fortunate where people have either called me out or showed me the right way. And, and I'm very grateful for it. So. Well, I also think it's cool that, and, and this was on the podcast that literally released yesterday, by the time this comes out, this may be a couple of weeks ago, but with Matt Letourneau, he talks about a lot about with failure. This was convicting to me. It's like when people fail now on social media, it's popular to talk about, you know, I failed and this is what I learned and I came out so much better. And while it's great to learn, you know, from our failures, sometimes it's just, yeah, I really screwed up and I'm going to own it. And like, yeah. even just then, when you told both those stories, there wasn't some triumphant, uh, victory no, after it. <laughs> there was neither one of those ended in a triumphant victory so no yeah definitely there's uh i think that's a dark side of entrepreneurship people don't necessarily see which is most people who've been successful are either very lucky or have a couple really big failures behind them and just haven't had the timing right yet so mm-hmm. um and i that's why i really root for people who've started a business and and i challenge them really hard right if somebody says to me what do you think i'll tell them flat out i think that's never going to work but don't listen to me. You ask my opinion. If I don't tell you this, I'd feel bad. And here's why, and here's how it could work, but you know, just pay attention. So um, sometimes they listen, sometimes they're, they, they got their way through it and proved me wrong, which is awesome. Mm, that's good. Well, we're about to run out of time here. I want to ask you one more thing. So mm-hmm. you have a son who's in college, right? Yep. Okay. And he's got, he's a freshman. He's a junior. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry about that. Junior. Yeah. I, uh, I misread that because I read your post about, uh, the moving uh, truck. And I didn't know if that was his freshman year. Anyways, yep, yep. that was a fun story. Um, so when your son graduates college in a few years and yep. to me, who's recently out of school and to the, I like to say that I'm closer to being a millennial, but I may just be a Gen Z. People say different <laughs> things to, to our age range that has yeah. not been working long. Who's going to, um, if you could knock some sense into uh, some of us or give us some advice, you got anything for us? Uh, I don't know that it's um, earth shattering, but I think going to work out of school or out of high school in this day and age is more exciting than anything I've ever seen. You could do anything you want. You could literally, I mean, I, I see people, well, look, you're doing a leadership podcast. You're 24 years old in, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's, and it's viable, right? It's not, I mean, it's not like it's, you're not, but you're not purporting yourself to be the, you know, 40 year old sage leader, you're curious, you're asking questions, you're getting people on the show to help other people learn. So it's great. I mean, think about that. Um, this medium didn't exist, you know, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, when I was college, it just didn't exist. And so for me, the advice I would is just find a job, go learn a few things and be curious. And then if you're curious and something's pulling at you, you are not in a box. You can do whatever the heck you want um, dabble in a side hustle, start a podcast, read a book, take a course, do something and tap into that curious nature. And the statement of, if you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life is pretty true. Um, but I also, I believe heavily in the trades. So I don't care if you're a welder or a carpenter or a Mason or whatever it is you're doing an electrician. If you make something with your hands and you, and it brings you joy, by all means, just do that. So for me, I think it's, you know, I tell my kids, go learn something on your own, get some scars, and then lean into something you want to do. And if you want some support, I'll be there to support you any way I can. Mm, that's good. And I love how 
you don't have to give some earth shattering advice. It's kind of sad, but when you're like, read a book, start a podcast, like the amount of information between social media and Netflix and all the stuff that's out there that most of the people are spending all their free time on. Um, we live in a world where if you, if you do pick up a book and read it, uh, you're ahead of, of, of most people. So the world I is mean, your oyster. Really? I, <laughs> when I started my podcast two years ago, I literally sat down and Googled, how do you start a podcast? <laughs> I know. Well, I thought the same thing. People ask me all the time. They're like, dude, how do you get it on Spotify and, and, uh, and, uh, Apple podcast? I'm like, I'm sorry, this isn't appropriate, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure I could like fart into my mic and put this on Spotify. <laughs> if you're still listening and you think I'm weird, I am weird, but it's really not that difficult. <laughs> it just, by the way, you just have to do it. And then you have to record your first episode. For me, that was probably the bigger challenge is turning the mic on myself and starting to talk like who cares? Um, and I still don't know that a lot of people care, but I, I, I meet really cool people and share their stories. And that's literally the premise of the show. So there you go. yeah, there you go. All right, Pete, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for joining me. Anthony, it's my pleasure and uh, love the format. Love the show. I'll be a listener. All right, folks, here's your action steps from Pete. One finish projects Two, find your time for a lot of people that is at 5 a.m. in the morning. If it's not for you, if you're not a morning person, my only question that I will kindly ask is what are you doing from 10 p.m. to midnight? <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Next, be open about your failure. Be authentic with it. Next, focus on leadership development, not only for yourself, but for your team if you have one. For leading yourself, read a book, take a course, start a podcast. I don't know. And then with leading a team, just be proactive instead of reactive. Most people are reactive with it. And then finally, listen to the Eating Crow podcast. I'll see you next week.